once again for the privilege it is to speak here. We will be continuing to his Passion Week. That is the last week of our Lord's ministry on earth, commencing as we did actually a day early. We commenced, if you remember, on the Saturday the, the, uh, with the anointing, then Sunday, what we think of as Palm Sunday, right? the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, into the temple, where the children sang and shouted, and then there was the incident where certain Gentiles wanted to speak to Jesus, and he returned after that day to Bethany, to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we'll be looking initially, let's start in Luke 21. Luke 21, though we'll be moving around to understand what's happening here. So this is now Monday morning. Luke 21's a little early. But let's begin in a word of prayer, shall we? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for your teaching, for your instructions. We thank you, Lord, and we ask that you might open our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's actually try in Mark. Mark. Turn over in Mark. And we're looking at... Oh, much better. Okay. Mark 11. Mark 11 and verse 12. Mark 11 verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was and hungry. He was hungry. Just a little incident here. It's recorded that at the conclusion of this day, he went out and stayed in the Mount of Olives. This was in fact the last time he would return to Bethany. This was the last time he would be in Mary and Martha's house. And I wonder, did they realise that? Did he say to them, oh, look, you know, don't, don't make dinner for me because I'm going to be uh, staying in the Mount of Olives tonight. Incidentally, that was not an unusual thing. A large number of the, the pilgrims who came to Jerusalem for the, the Passover would in fact sleep out. And the, the Mount of Olives being this great big uh, olive yard, olive orchard, so to speak, uh, was quite a popular place for people to, to spend the night. It's March, weather's fine, 
Uh, there's nothing unusual about this. So the fact that Jesus and his disciples chose to sleep in the mount of, in the, the olive grove at Gethsemane should not be viewed as something really weird and unusual. Lots of people slept out during Passover time when they because they'd come in, there was no place to stay, the city was crowded. They are estimations that the, the population of Jerusalem would be triple its normal size. Nowhere to stay. People tended to sleep out, and the, and the Mount of Olives was a great spot to do it. So he was, but then, I think, now did he tell him? Did he say, I won't be back? Or did Mary and Martha see him go off, and, and Mary said to Martha, not to worry, I've got that nice bit of brisket, that's for tea tonight. We'll have a meal for him when he comes back, and they never saw him again. They never saw him till the crucifixion. How often do we miss chances because we think, oh yeah, there'll be another day. Jesus will come past another time and he won't. That'll be the last chance you get. Perhaps Mary alone had understood this because she was the one who had anointed him for burial Already, So perhaps Mary realised that this was the end and that she would, she would not see her beloved master again. So he's heading to Jerusalem. It's an easy walk from Bethany to Jerusalem. Now, and it is, I, I tell you, there, once you've, Seeing where this stuff happens, it gets very easy to picture. You know that classic shot that everybody gets taken when they go to Jerusalem and they have the, I think they've got holes in the ground to actually put the camera legs in so they hold them steady. You're standing on the top of the Mount of Olives and when you're, and behind you is Jerusalem and the, the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount. They do lots of TV broadcasts from there and every tourist gets their picture taken there. Well, if you stand on that spot and you're looking down the Kedron Valley and then up the hill to Jerusalem, you can see Jerusalem spread out on the other side. That slope at your feet was all olives. That was Gethsemane. Gethsemane, you go there now and there's like about 18 olive trees in it. No, no, no. It was a huge olive grove. Big. And over on your left is the road from Bethany. And somewhere along that road was a fig tree. Verse 13, And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter for ever, and his disciples Heard it. Now, some people have said, wow, he lost his temper at an innocent fig tree. It's an interesting story here. It's, he came to a fig tree. What do we know about this fig tree? We know it was alive because it had leaves on it. 
Dead trees don't have leaves. Not live ones, anyhow. So he came to a fig tree. And it's interesting that he, he, it says, if haply he might find anything thereon. But when he came there, he found there were only leaves. You need to understand figs. Figs are interesting trees. Anyone ever seen a fig flower? You seen a fig flower? Does it flower? No. The flowers are inside the fruits. They're an unusual tree. If, if anyone says they've, they've watched the fig trees blossom, well, they haven't because the, they don't. They, they, the blossoms are actually inside the fruit. <coughs> but these semi-feral sycamore figs have several crops during the year. And the first one, if you're an Italian, is called a breva fig. And it's little. In fact, it never gets fertilised. It's a little, you would call it miserable, scungy, just rubbishy bit of fig. It's the very first fig of the season, and in fact it falls off. It grows a little bit, then it falls off, and then the real figs grow. The point is, the breva figs, they're not much, but they're something. And this was what he was looking for. They are edible. They don't taste great, but they're something. He was looking for the immature breva figs, the buds. And they weren't there. There was nothing on it. There should have been, by this stage, the breva fig forming, the buds forming. There were no buds on the fig tree. The interesting thing is, if your fig tree does not form breva figs, it will not fruit that year. So by coming and finding that there were no buds on the fig tree, he knew there would be no fruit that year from that fig tree. The fig tree would not bear any fruit for anybody. And so he said, Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now, the interesting thing is that this is not the first time Jesus had mentioned figs and fruiting. And what I put to you is that this is a physical demonstration of something Jesus had already said once before. Turn back to Luke 13. Luke 13. Luke 13, chapter 6. Sorry, Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse... Oh, let's try that again. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Okay? Luke chapter 13, verse 6. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, 
And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Sound familiar? A certain man came to a fig tree and sought fruit thereon and found none. What Jesus is in fact doing when in this parable of the in this in this cursing of the fig tree is acting out the very same parable that he taught here. First of all, he teaches it and then he acts it out to make sure they get the message. Uh, verse 7, And then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig it about and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then thou shalt cut it down. It's exactly the same thing, isn't it? The man came into the middle of his vineyard where he had a fig tree and he said, there's no fruit. Get rid of it. And the, the, the guy in charge of his, of his garden said, Lord, we'll give it another chance. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilise it. I'll put some manure on it. If it bears fruit, well and good. And if it doesn't, then we'll rip it out. And replace it with something that will give you some fruit. <coughs> and now he's walking towards Jerusalem and he sees a fig tree and he expects to find some, some fruit on it and he finds none. He says, what's it doing here? Why is it encumbering the ground? It's not giving me any fruit. It will bear no fruit this year. It's not fit to remain. It is the acting out of a parable. And when I first put these two together, I thought, wow, this is, this is seriously interesting stuff to, to, to see these things combined. The fig tree had had its chance. You realise what time had passed from the parable to this? To this? Somewhere between three and six months. Long enough for fig trees to bear a crop. It had had its chance. Clearly, this, this parable and this story is relating to the cleansing of the temple, which is going to be next time. Way too much to get into today, but this concept of destroying the fig tree because it will not bear fruit is, is tied up with the cleansing of the temple and the judgment on the nation of Israel. The fig tree had had its chance and it failed. Now the fact that the disciples heard it, what he said, means this was done not just because he was hungry, but because he, this was an opportunity to teach the disciples something. It wasn't done because there was no breakfast. It was done because there was no fruit on the fig tree. And he was trying to make a point to these disciples. Now, some people have imagined there's a bit of a, a time difference here. 
But if you look over in, in Matthew 21, Matthew 21, we have the same story. Matthew 21, verse 18. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he hungered. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, but found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Now, Mark chapter 11 If you sort of got a finger in each one, um, if you look at verse 20, it says, And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto him, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed. Be thou cast into his sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he hath said shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So what we have here is, is a dispute about timing. It's Monday morning. He curses the fig tree. Now one says that it withered away immediately. The other say, says that it was the next morning. Well, in fact, both are completely true. Because he came to the fig tree, he cursed it, they went on. The fig tree did, in, in fact, immediately start to die. But it wasn't till the next morning that the disciples walked past it and said, and Peter went, oh, that's the fig tree there. See how it's all dead. So both accounts are, in fact, completely true. The fig tree did begin to wither away straight away, but it wasn't until next morning that the disciples noticed it when they walk past it again on the way to Jerusalem. Incidentally, that means that the fig tree is not over towards Bethany, but it's somewhere between the Mount of Olives on the road to Jerusalem proper. There are a couple of ways you can get to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. You can go down the valley and up again, or you can go around the top onto the Bethany road. It would appear that they went around the top on the Bethany Road. It's uh, how they were travelling to probably avoid walking up the big hill. But that's how they, those two things are. In fact, both quite true. The fig tree did begin to wither immediately, but it wasn't until the next morning that they noticed it. So, we have a fig tree. Symbolism is important. Symbolism is important in Scripture because things are symbols. And the question is, what does the fig tree represent? Let's go back to Luke. That story, remember that story in Luke about the, the parable of the fig tree? Luke 13, 6-9. It says that a certain man had a vineyard and in the middle of the vineyard is a fig tree. Now, why you would plant a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard, I have no idea. 
but evidently he had. Um, but he comes to look at the fig tree and finds no fruit. This is significant because it doesn't say he came and saw a vine that had no fruit. It was a fig tree. So when you look at symbolism, and here is really, it's really quite simple and a principle always to work on. Always go from what you know for sure to what you're not sure about. If you're going to work in symbols and look at what a symbol means in Scripture, go from what the Bible tells you is, is true and exact and there's no doubt about, and then you can start to extrapolate a little bit further and see what else is there. Look over in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. And it says very clearly, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Okay, no doubt about that one. That, that one's easy. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the nation of Israel. So when you see a, a description, a symbol used in, in the Bible of a vineyard, it's referring to the nation of Israel. Hey, that one's easy. So what's the fig tree growing in the middle of the vineyard? Well, Paul in, in Romans chapter 9 verse 6, he makes an interesting comment and he says, all of Israel isn't Israel. Yeah, right? He says, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. And you think, what's he getting on about? But when you think about it in Christian terms, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Not everybody who calls themselves Christian are actually God's people. There are a lot of, talking about vineyards and things, there are a lot of fruits and nuts out there, you know, in the vineyard. And, and not everybody who is in Christendom is part of God's church. That's, that's a reasonable thing to consider. We know that. And in the same way when you're talking about Israel, not everybody who is Jewish is part of what was part here of spiritual Israel. Now even today you go into Israel and there are people who are ethnically and culturally Jewish. But they function really as atheists. They've got no interest in religious things. They are of Israel, but they're not Israel. They are part of the nation of Israel, but they're not spiritually part of Israel. They've got no interest in religious things. They, you know, and, and so this is what Paul was getting at. He says, just because a guy is Jewish doesn't mean he's worshipping the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This was true all throughout history. All through Israel's history. There were those who were Jewish and part of the nation, but they had no interest in God's things. Just the same way as now there are people who call themselves Christian, but they have no interest in God's things. For a lot of people, Christian is just something, an X they mark on the census. It's got nothing to do with the way they believe. 
And so within the nation of Israel, there's in the centre, if you like, within the vineyard is the fig tree. Within the nation of Jewish people, there are those who believe and worship. Always has been, always will be. Same with the church. Within the group of the church, or within the group of Christendom, will be those in there who worship God. And if you, if you really, anybody remember when they were kids doing maths, doing set theory? Remember sets? Huh? We have the set of this, and within that we have a smaller group. If you ever do set theory, you'll, you'll see this classic illustration of it, but anyhow. If the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the nation of Israel, then I suggest that the fig tree is a picture of religious Israel. Not national Israel, but religious Israel. And that Jesus came seeking fruit from the religious people and found none. If this thinking is true, if I'm, if I'm on the right track here, then I should be able to take this picture and apply it through scripture and it should fit. Now, it's, first of all, it's interesting that when both national and spiritual Israel were thriving, if for an, in, an instance, in First Kings chapter four, verse First uh, Kings chapter four, verse twenty-five, you don't have to have to look there, but it's a description of the kingdom under David, or sorry, under under, under Solomon. The, in the kingdom under Solomon, it said that every man sat under his own vine and fig tree. In other words, symbolically, both national Israel and spiritual Israel were flourishing. They were all growing well. The, the vine and the fig tree were both doing well. If the fig tree is a picture of religious Israel, well, where do you first find fig trees? Fig tree is the third tree mentioned in the Bible. The first tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second tree is the tree of life. And the third tree mentioned is a fig tree. Alright? And what's the fig tree mentioned for? Because you all know the story. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they made coverings of fig leaves. You ever wondered why it was a fig leaf? Well... They're not particularly good for making clothes out of. Why? Because the fig tree was a symbol. And the thing is, what do people use to go and cover up their sin and their shame? External religious activities. They go and pick the fig leaves of an external religious behaviour to cover up their own sin and shame the same way Adam and Eve tried to make coverings of fig leaves once they had sinned. Hmm. Okay. When the fig tree's going well, 
and the vine and the vine's going well. The nation spiritually and religiously is prospering. People use fig tree as a symbol of religious activity. If you look in Jeremiah chapter eight verse thirteen, it's prophesied by Jeremiah that the the Babylonians will destroy both vine and fig tree. What happened when the Babylonians invaded? Both the national Israel was carried away captive and spiritual Israel was destroyed with the burning of the temple. Both vine and fig tree were carried away captive. Were destroyed when the nation was carried away captive. In Jeremiah chapter 24 verse 5 and following, you can read that in your own time, the people of Israel are compared to figs. There's some good figs, which he said he'll take to Babylon and preserve and keep. And he says there's some rotten figs that are so bad you can't even eat them. People of Israel are compared to figs. Kingdom. If the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the nation of Israel, consider then 1 Kings chapter 21. Now, if you know that one, that's the story of Naboth's vineyard. Naboth was a good man who had a vineyard. And King Ahab wanted it. And so he, his, his wife Jezebel had Naboth murdered so that they could steal the vineyard. You think of all the evil, rotten things that Naboth and Jezebel did. Why is that particular story recorded? Why? Because it concerns a vineyard. Naboth was the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. He was stealing the vineyard. He was stealing the nation. But you'll notice there's no mention of a fig tree. Why? Because religious Israel by then was based in Judea, in Jerusalem. And he had no influence over it. But he was trying to steal the kingdom, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, the nation of Israel. That's what he was trying to steal. Political power, not religious power. We'll keep going, okay. Matthew 17, verse 16. There are two plants mentioned to show fruits of repentance. And it says, do men gather Grapes from brambles, or do they gather figs from thistles? Again, the fig and the vine are mentioned as the fruits indicating the nation of Israel, of, repent, of true repentance. Hmm. So, Jesus came to... Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, as what? The king. He made the approach as the king. He was looking for the vineyard, so to speak. And in fact, in Matthew 21, we have the parable of the inheritance of the vineyard. In fact, that's worth looking at. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 33. Beginning at 33 is a story about a man who planted a vineyard. 
When he wanted the fruit from it, he sent people to collect it, and those who were running it threw them out. And it says in verse 35, took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Verse 37, last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him and seize on his inheritance. They caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? And he said, they say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, let out his vineyard to other men, which will which will shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Now, verse 35 tells you that people understood what this parable was. For verse verse 45 says, And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. They understood exactly what he meant. That the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the nation of Israel, and when the Son of God comes... He was accusing them beforehand of his own murder. That they will kill him in order to seize what? Political power. That's what they're after. You see, in John chapter 48 verse to 49, that's that's worth a a look to. John... Chapter 11, John chapter 11, verse 48. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come away and take shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Not our religion, our nation. They were not concerned about the fig tree. They were concerned about the vineyard. The Pharisees were concerned not that Jesus' religion would threaten them, but that he would threaten their political power. There's one last parable about figs. Now, you've probably all figged out, but hey, there's one more story about figs. That's worth considering. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. The parable of the fig tree. Matthew 24, verse 32. Jesus says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. He says, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. Likewise, when ye, when, likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Parable of the fig tree. Now, I have heard many learned scholars and some not particularly learned say that the budding of the fig tree was the formation of the nation of Israel in 1948. And as the time has gone on and on and on, it gets a little bit more difficult to hold that position because if that case the fig tree has budded and has put forth its leaves but nothing has happened. 
However, we're not told that the fig tree is the nation of Israel. We're told that the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the nation of Israel. The fig tree is, if, it, if the fig tree is representing spiritual Israel, then the budding of the fig tree is the massive turning of Jewish people back to their Lord and their God. Is the recognition of the of the by the Jewish people that they've been deceived for all these years and that Jesus is the Messiah. The fig tree then begins to grow, and we see these things happening even at the very doors, right at the doorpost. It then changes the timing of that and would indicate that the parable of the fig tree represents repentance from the nation of Israel, where they begin to produce the fruits and uh, put forth the leaves, and then the fruit are worthy of repentance. To me, it fits. Now, so, what does that matter to us? Well, there's some good stuff there for people to have a look at. There's some interesting concepts in prophecy there that's worthwhile consideration. But what does it matter to what does it mean to us right now? Well, the question really is when Jesus comes to see us, what does he find? Is there any fruit? Or is there just leaves? Is it all just show? Is it all just externals? Or is it the genuine fruit of repentance that indicates a changed heart and a changed life and a, and a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, it's interesting too. Listen. <laughs> Jesus didn't ask the fig tree or didn't come looking for full-grown figs on there. All he wanted was a bud. All he wanted was just a promise, just a potential of works to come, and that would have been enough. God is not asking you instantaneously to become something wonderful and marvellous and have fruit everywhere. All he's saying is, is there anything? Is there anything that indicates you have genuinely been born again and your life is starting to change? Is there any fruit at all? Just a little bud. Just a little vespa pig, fig. Just a little one. Just enough to show that you're genuine. That's all he asks. The rest he will do himself. Or does he come to our lives and find leaves only? Inedible. Withering. Useless. In fact, fig leaves irritate. You know that? Uh, the sap that's in them, it irritates the skin. What are we? Do we bear fruit? Are we bearing the fruits of repentance? Are we showing that we're genuine, a real fig tree, a fertile fig tree that's going to produce something for God? Or is it all just show? 
Is it all just like Adam and Eve? Just pick a few leaves and cover ourselves up with it? You want to understand about Jesus? Because you know there's another fig tree. Remember Zacchaeus? You know what he climbed into? A sycamore fig. He climbed into the branches of a sycamore fig for to see Jesus who he was. You want to see Jesus who he was? Who he is? Get into the Old Testament. Into the stories and the prophecies and the teaching of the Old Testament. The nation, the spiritual nation of Israel and you will see Jesus who he is. The same way as Zacchaeus when he climbed that tree saw Jesus who he was. So what are you going to be in the fig tree? You're going to be up there looking, bearing fruit, just covering yourself up with a few leaves. Where's your heart? Is it producing fruit or just show? Only you know what's inside your own heart. Because you know... Before the leaves come out, you can't tell whether a fig tree is going to bear fruit or not. Till the fruit time of fruiting, you don't know. No one else can know. People can look at you and say, oh yeah, I, 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 that's a great person, that's a good person, that's a real nice person, and it's all for show. It's all just leaves. This day. If you realise that there's no fruit, because it's all been for show, talk to me today. Talk to pastors today. We'll introduce you to the one who came looking for fruit on a fig tree and found none. Thank you. Pastor.